Warning. The Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. We have Los Angeles-based visual artist and designer Mary Lai on the show, and she is just such a source of positive energy and amazing work as, a, as, as an artist, as a designer, as a creative. I know you're going to love her story. I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute, so stay tuned because we have a great interview with Mary Lai. But before we get into the interview, I want to thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. If it wasn't for you, I would just be talking to a microphone and that would be sad. So thank you for tuning in. Of course, as always, please be sure to like this episode, make a comment and share it with your friends on social. Also be sure to go to our website, notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you there. We're always posting new artists and their work, as well as resources and other assets and things for artists and creatives in terms of helping you with your career. Be sure to check out the free educational videos on the Not Real Art School. Just go to notrealart.com and click on school in the top navigation. Also, check out our new events page. I recently retooled the events page just to focus on all the great events and all the great positive energy and fond memories we've built up over the years at our Not Real Art events. I just posted a bunch of photos the other day in the gallery, so be sure to check those photos out. A lot of of fun times to share there with you. All right. All right. So what's going on, people? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here. As I said, we have a fantastic show today for you. We have the one and only Mary Lai, who is a Los Angeles-based visual artist and designer. She has her BFA in graphic design. She creates vibrant contemporary artwork that has been exhibited in LA, New York, Miami, and internationally. Her ever-evolving modern artwork is full of color, evoking positivity, and often brings a smile to the viewer. I know it brought a smile to me. Her scope of work includes paintings, mixed media art, digital art, NFTs, to large-scale murals and sculptures. Prior to her journey as a visual artist, she was a seasoned designer who built a career in New York uh, over a decade as a fashion accessory designer, including award-winning namesake handbag collection. My God, she's got over 20 years of art and design experience. Lai has worked with several notable brands, including HBO Max, Vayner, St. Jude, The Wahlbergs, American Express, Snapchat, and more. She's been a panelist at South by Southwest, the New York City NFT, uh, NFT X Perverse, all over the Web3 space. And she's exhibited at leading art fairs, including Scope Miami, Art Basel, Art Market, San Francisco, the LA Art Show, on and on. Mary continues to refine her craft and explore what it means to create art with impact in the physical and digital world. And today we're going to talk about her artist in residence at the W Hotel here in Westwood, Los Angeles, near UCLA. We had a big opening party the other night, and I was there along with countless other people. It was a packed house. It was such a great showing for Mary. I was so thrilled for her. Such a positive energy, uh, positive vibe that night. Great crowd, but it was all because of her, you know, because her work and, and her energy, I think, attracts positivity as well as reflects positivity and exudes positivity. And so, you know, so it was just a, a fantastic event. 
I was so happy for her because she's been working her butt off getting 20 pieces together over the last six months to display there at uh, the W Hotel in Westwood. And it's good. The artworks are going to be on display for at least six months, if not up to a year. Of course, they're all for sale. We'll eventually get gobbled up, but they're going to be hanging there at the W in Westwood here for the least the next six months. So go check it out. Go see her work. You're going to love it. She, of course, shared the love by bringing in some other artist friends of hers in the NFT digital art gallery space that she curated there at the hotel. So go check that out. But I'm telling you, I could go on and on. Mary's just one of these special people. We, we totally chopped it up today on the show. Uh, I really wanted to kind of understand her process in terms of getting ready for the artisan residency and what does that even mean? And did she or did she not get the penthouse there at the W as artisan residence? So stay tuned to find out the answer to that question. Let's get into this without further ado. Let's hear from the one and only Mary Lai. Mary Lai, welcome to Not Real Art. Thank you for having me. Wow, today's like a gift. Like, I can't believe you're in the house with me. This is amazing. I mean, this is a gift for me because I don't know if you know, but I've heard this, your podcast, like years ago with Man One. And I remember thinking, wow, what a cool podcast. I mean, I love the title, Not Real Art. And then that's how I learned about Man One. And then to have this be a full circle and now I'm on the podcast, this is a gift for me. Oh, that's so, that's so great to hear. It's a small community right here in LA, you know, really, you know, some of it's gotten bigger over the years, certainly, but we kind of orbit each other sometimes and then never really meet or, or talk. But then all of a sudden, you know, the planets align and, you know, here we are. So, <laughs> right, exactly. It's a practice, as we say. It's a practice. Mary Lai, how are you still are you still buzzing from the other night? Are you still high from oh the other gosh. night? Oh my gosh, my body was zinging. <laughs> so I definitely needed to catch up on sleep because I feel like for the three months leading up to it, I wasn't really sleeping and it was a lot of stress. But the night itself was even better than I could have imagined it to be. And I was just on a high all weekend and just, yeah, it was like, I still feel like I'm on, on the high. It was a great event. Right. So let's not skip over all the important stuff and just talk about the fun stuff, because of course the party was so fun. Oh my God, it was so fun. We'll talk about that. And I think I just sobered up. So that's good. Thanks for the free drink. <laughs> we'll get to the party, but you mentioned the most important part, which of course is the three months of hard work and no sleep, you know, getting ready for this opening, this grand showcase exhibition opening the other night. And just to set the stage for our listeners, you, my friend, have the great honor and, and great privilege and, and great opportunity to be artist of residence at W at the W Hotel there in Westwood here in, you know, not too far from UCLA here in LA. And before we get into the actual process and the journey of making the work and your vision and what the story you were trying to tell. Let's start with the very beginning, because I mean, obviously your CV and your bio sort of speaks for itself, but there are so many artists out there, right, that are, I'm sure very envious of this, <laughs> of this honor, right, to be artists in residence at the W. So take us back four months, five months. I mean, how did this happen for you? I feel very lucky to have been selected for this position, but it's interesting how this happened in 2019. And then I had met the manager at the Renaissance Hotel down in Newport Beach. And I was supposed to do something like that in a smaller scale over there. And that's how I got connected. But then the pandemic happened and then it never went through. But another person that I met during that meeting in 2019, her name was Liz Sheldon. She had moved to the W Hotel, Los Angeles, West Beverly Hills, which is basically Westwood. And when they were looking for the next artist to replace Ruben Rojas, who was there for 2022, Liz had mentioned my name. She said, I met this artist, Mary Lai, in 2019. How about her? And then so they all reviewed my artwork. And then next thing you know, I got a call to have a lunch with the managers over there. And then the lunch went great. And they said they knew right away it was me. And so I felt so lucky to have that. But it was something that was like, brewing and happening since 2019 and finally all the cards and stars aligned and then I was able to make this a reality. 
Oh, sometimes you just know, right? It's a match. It's a it's a vibe thing, right? It's a chemistry thing, you know? And, you know, it's so funny because one of the things that I really love about you, and of course your work's outstanding, and we'll get into that, but you are one of those really kind of unusual special artists because you actually really, I, my, my impression of you, I don't know you that well, but I get the sense that you really like people and you're a social animal, you know? And so, yes, you like nerding out in your studio and making art and, you know, going deep and going inside, whatever. But you also have those other muscles where you're like, okay, now it's time to party. And uh, <laughs> now it's time to entertain and be social. And you have those, you have that skill. And so I can imagine that those managers at the W when they met you, they love that about you immediately because they, they might have been prepared for that like dark artist that shows up not talking and just pissed off. <laughs> you know, they're like, no, 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 no. That's not the artist for us. It's off-brand for W. Right. You're very on-brand for W, my friend. Thank you. And I think that's a like a muscle and a skill set that has been exercise because of my 20 years in the creative industry yes. and before my life as a visual artist and when I was more of a designer, I had my own collection. And so I really had to learn how to speak about my product, my artwork and artists nowadays, they have to wear those multiple hats to be able to be marketing and sales and not just coming with like artwork and saying, oh, this is my art. You have to be able to flex those other muscles. So I think it was a lot of practice in the 20 years. Right. And so when I did have that lunch with them, I think they realized, okay, she can speak about her art. She is kind of on brand. So it kind of all worked out. Yeah, they're looking for an ambassador, right? Somebody that they art that they love and art that they feel good about, very world-class artists, but but they also want that world-class ambassador, right? You were able to kind of match that. And you know, you and I, we have you you don't know this, but you and I have a little bit of a kind of fun connection because I actually got my degree in in graphic design as well. And so, you know, I've said for years that and I worked in advertising and agency guy for years and of course, I'm not a visual fine artist like you, but the point is, is that I've said for a long time that I always felt like, you know, contemporary artists and, and so-called fine artists could learn a lot from commercial artists in terms of being able to present and talk and speak and tell stories. Because as a commercial artist, right, you're always in front of the client or you're, you know, you're, you're launching something, you're telling a story. And so it's interesting. I've encouraged contemporary artists to sort of Look at the commercial arts for inspiration around how to talk about your business, how to maybe think about billing, how to talk about marketing, what have you. Because I feel like there's historically there was that wall right between co contemporary art and, and, and commercial art, but certainly that wall is not there anymore. Right. Yeah. I think with this project, when I was going in, I knew that I had to be a little commercial as well because I wasn't doing a solo exhibition at a museum or gallery where you could be fully conceptual. You had to be universally kind of liked with the artwork that you produce. So it is that balance of commercial and conceptual. And it's funny you say that you come from the advertising world because the artist that was the year before me, he was Ruben Rojas. And he was also, I think, from the advertising world. And he came up with a theme which was like live through love and he really understood how to make that commercial and conceptual artwork in a hospitality setting really perfect and so he kind of laid the roadmap for me so when I went in I kind of had that already laid out and then like you were saying it's when you have that advertising background or the graphic design background you're able to create a whole collection for this kind of setting so much better. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's changed, right, is that brands are embracing the arts and contemporary arts and artists now in a whole new way, maybe than they didn't 20 years ago. And the point is, is that the kind of the core difference between your like stereotypical archetypal fine artist or contemporary artist versus your stereotypical kind of commercial artist is that the artist, the fine artist, contemporary artist, you know, working away in their studio just to make their art is only trying to make their art and tell their story in the way they want to tell it. They're not at all worried about the audience or the target consumer or any of that, right? Like they're just making their art and telling their story, whatever that happens to be, right? Whereas on the commercial art side and the graphic designer working in some agency, like you are uber focused, right? On the audience and the consumer and like what's going to resonate with them and stuff. So when a brand like the W comes along and you're saying, okay, 
you know, wait a minute, I'm creating my art and I want my art to resonate in the space. Oh, well, who's in the space? Oh, well, travelers and tourists and moms and kids and hipsters and whatever. And so you're you're using that lens of thinking about who's going to be in that space and creating things that will resonate with them. And that's some artists don't want to go there. It's interesting. You know, it's like, but I feel like those artists who can go in, well, there maybe some artists don't want to go there. Maybe some artists can't go there. But for those artists who can go there and think about the audience and the space and create something that that feels really relevant, it's a powerful skill to have and a powerful ability to have and, and one that you can monetize because brands really need that right now. Right. Yeah. And I think if they asked me this 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or early in my career, I couldn't have pulled this off. But I think it was after all of those years of and experiences that I'm at that point where I can find that balance and do that because you're right. There's a lot of artists that don't want to do it, but there's a lot of artists that can't do that. And so it is kind of that very special point of being, but it took me this long to get to that point to feel confident enough to know I can do this. You're talking about the 10,000 hours, right? Like the 10,000 hours, 15,000 hours, 20,000 hours that it takes, right? To sort of master a thing. It does take a long time. I feel like, you know, it's hard to be patient. We never happens as fast as we want. Right. And I think sometimes we have like unrealistic expectations for whatever reason. And turns out it takes as long as it takes, as long as you're faithful and have integrity and dedication and passion and work ethic and, you know, and work, work, work. It starts to connect, right? The dots start to connect over time. Right. And they say, what's the quote where they say like the overnight success is 20 years in the making. (laughs) I I definitely feel like people might not have known who's Mary Lai. Why does she get this position with the W? But if they don't know, it's I've had 20 years of really, really like blood, sweat and tears and, and a lot of struggles and challenges and hard work that has led me to be able to have this moment. So I don't think it's just an overnight success. It is years in the making and all this hard work that has brewed to this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, our culture does, we love to celebrate overnight success or the instant win or whatever. It turns out it's all bullshit, (laughs) you know, usually, and you know, easy come, easy go. I mean, if you don't lay a solid foundation for your life and your career, you know, it's going to wash away, right? So build that solid foundation and bet on yourself, invest in yourself, just be dedicated and focused and, you know, and have fun along the way. Because at the end of the day, money comes and goes, you know, but your attitude is the one thing that that we have control over, right? Right. And I love that you're saying that it's really building those roots and having that groundwork. So then it's not easy come, easy go. Hopefully I'm going to be around for a while because these roots have been going for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there's so much to talk about. I know we're kind of all over the place, but like I sort of have so many things I want to chat with you about. But so let's stay on point, though. You get the gig at the W. They was instant, instant love at first sight over lunch with the manager, so to speak. And they say, well, okay, you, you know, you're our new artist in residence. Then what, what happened next? Right. So for me, I wanted to have a theme. So like I was saying, the one before was live through love. And it was just like love was everywhere. So for me, I wanted the theme to be dream. But then as I wanted to go deeper, I wanted the theme to be unlock your dreams. Because I wanted it to be that these dreams could become true by creating these doors and opportunities for yourself. And so unlock your dreams became the overarching like theme. And then I kind of built this roadmap of the artworks that I would place all around the hotel in this theme and then I would have to get that approved and then once approved create it in those three months there was a lot of how am I going to make this all happen but it just started all coming together and then it was my first ever large-scale sculpture or sculpture in general so that was exciting and then to layer on augmented reality onto the sculpture and then even the digital art gallery I knew at that first lunch I had with them the second I walked into that was called the oasis room I said this should be an nft gallery and they looked at me like what's an nft and i was like well if you allow me to do this i think this could be really cool for this space and they were like this is your blank canvas do whatever you think is your vision and so that was great too so all of those things kind of just came together because they trusted me and then i had those three months to really like check off everything to to make it happen well by the way i'm so glad you brought up the the nft gallery and i was going to get there eventually but as I understand it, right, you fought, or no, you fought, but I mean, you decided that, you know what, no, 
yes, this is my show. This is my space. I'm artist in residence. But you said, I want to support other artists. I want to advocate for other artists. And you created the NFT gallery space and featured other artists. You shared and spread the love. Yes. I think that's important. I mean, when I go to different art shows and galleries and openings, you know, we have like an artist group of friends we go together with and to have a community is great, but then to kind of lift each other up and to showcase each other's works is how we're all kind of a big community working together. So then everything came together very last minute for the digital art gallery. I actually asked those artists literally a week before opening. Hey, do you want to be part of this? Send me artwork now. You know, it was like one of those moments. And everybody, when you said jump, they jumped. It was amazing. And it was because of the the relationship that I've been building. And in 2022, I really took that deep dive into digital art, crypto art, NFTs, whatever you want to call it. And so I had kind of the community of digital artists, but also traditional artists. So then it was a mixture of both blends. And it was so nice to see these artists come and see their own artwork. And then I really do believe a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if we can just all empower each other and and showcase each other, it's kind of really great. And then to have them bring their friends and be excited about it. I mean, there's an energy to that. A hundred percent. And you are so right. I mean, at the end of the day, and I think most artists are like this, it's the rare exception that an artist is sort of Fuck you, get yours, I got mine. But (laughs) yeah, it's like, you know what? Let's bring our friends with us. If you get a win, let's spread the love and share the love. And that's just investment, spiritual karma, spiritual kind of investment for good karma or good luck in the future, whatever. And that's a great example that that you said. And and hopefully they'll remember that, right? And move forward and, and, and pay it forward as well in other ways for other artists in the future for them. So let's go back for a second because... You talked about this map that you made of the space. Clearly, you needed to understand what the scope of work was, right? Like you've got however many weeks or months to to create this body of work. You've got to think about it. That's the hardest part, right? So it's like, okay, what am I going to do? And so take us back. I mean, as you map the space, like how many pieces did you realize like, okay, I've got to create X and these are, you know, these are the the walls, these are the halls, these are this, these are that. So break it down for us in terms of how many artworks you produced for this artist in residence program. It was about 20 pieces with the sculpture and the digital art gallery. And those 20 pieces, when I started making that map, I have so many different series from where I started in visual art and then where I am now. So I wanted to kind of show that whole journey. So when you first walk into the lobby, you'll see kind of more of my current style. But as you go in the lobby more, you'll see like these little characters that I used to do that are of Legos and they're structured on the alphabet. And they were inspired by my young kids when I first started creating that in 2019. And so I got to show all these different bodies of collections and series and at first I was like is that too confusing should I not do that but they were like no that's so playful and it's so fun we want that as well and so I tried to tie everything together with color so Mm -hmm. you know everything is very vibrant and bright and you can tell it's got the element of like oh that's Mary's artwork although there's a lot of different series but that's just the way I kind of broke it down to create those 20 pieces is that I'm going to tap into all these different collections that I've made and recycle some things remix other things reshow other things and then make brand new pieces as well. And it was a mixture of all of that. That's so great to hear and interesting to hear because that was my sense of the work of the body of work, because I knew it was all you, not because I knew it was all you, but because there was a, whether it was the color palette or whether there was, you know, something about the aesthetic, but it was clear that it had, there was a cohesion Right. Mm -hmm. It was cohesive. And even though it sort of spoke to different parts of your career or maybe you were doing new things on a certain level, because I think, did you say that sculpture in the front was the first sculpture that you've done, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, right. So you're stretching into new areas as well as kind of honoring your past. And that whole body of, of work was, you know, at least for me, felt very cohesive. So, you know, came from the same artist and it was very thoughtful. So let's talk about the sculpture for a minute, because, you know, it's the first thing you see when you pull up to the hotel on the curb. It's a very bold and fun and a little whimsical structure. And in all candor, this isn't a criticism. I I tried to use, this is really user error. I think I'm a 
don't know how to use technology, but like I was trying to do the QR code in the front to like, you know, read about it. And for some reason it wasn't working. I think it was my phone. So I never really got the backstory on the sculpture, the, the first. So take us back to the inspiration of the sculpture, the process of designing and getting it fabricated. Tell us that story. Sure. So I started with that theme, like I was saying, unlock your dreams. And when I think about dreams, I think of like clouds, sun, rainbow, like you you think of kind of nature and the weather and what that would look like. But then I also wanted to go deeper of, okay, how can I make this into a portal, like a door? So I literally had a doorknob put onto the sculpture. So then you see it as kind of this arched door. But if you kind of take a step back, it almost looks like a shape of a rainbow. And then even rainbows are only created when you have that sun and the cloud and the rain and just that perfect kind of when all the elements align is when you have that shape where this portal opens, you know? So that was the thought process of how can I make that into a sculpture? And so then I spec'd out all the sizes for this and worked with the fabricator and it's in solid Xterra wood and then with the automotive paint finish. So it's a high quality sculpture. And then the AR, the augmented reality portion of that was, I was introduced to this great company called Future Arts Co. in Seattle. And they, work with artists and they connect artists with other AR artists to have their AR dreams come true. You know, so I said, oh, these are are my 2D arts. How can I make this into augmented reality? And they paired me with this artist in Tokyo who then got all my art and then made it into augmented mixed reality. So the sculpture is called Dream Portal. And if you got the QR code to work, I know it's a little bit tricky at first and you have to have Instagram because it opens in an Instagram filter. And so when you open the filter, you the portal opens and you enter the portal and then you go into this dream world of all of my artwork that this Tokyo-based artist, his name is Ken, turned into augmented reality. So that was kind of the yeah. whole thing with the sculpture. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time dealing with, with just reality, Mary. So no <laughs> wonder I had trouble with augmented <laughs> reality because I could barely get through uh, reality. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Well, yeah. So, so yeah, because that sculpture, and by the way, who did you use? To, I bet I know who you used to fabricate it, but like, I'm just curious, like, who'd you work with to fabricate? I, your- I don't know if you know him because I know him from a previous job and uh, I was originally going to go with somebody else but then I ended up going with my friend his name is Midu and he he goes with the company Beverly Hills Sculpture I believe okay, it, cool. right on. Okay. but he's actually like a friend yeah, and nice. he really really came through for me it, it was exactly you know, what I imagined yeah, yes. yeah yeah that's great and he's excellent you know historically I think conservative minded people might have scoffed at, at artists like Jeff Koons for example that use other artists to realize their vision. But you know what? That's such my, that's such like one dimensional thinking. I mean, you know, at the, at the end of the day, artists have visions and stories to tell, and they may not know how to program AR or they may not know how to fabricate a three-dimensional fiberglass structure or whatever. So of course you have to work with other artists to, to collaborate. And that's the beauty of it, right? Like when you have those friends in your network and you guys can collaborate and, and create, build worlds together. Absolutely. And when I think of the artist like Solowit, I feel like, you know, he's shown at MoMA, he's shown at so many museums, and he was a conceptual artist. He didn't create the work of art. He just thought of the idea and the concept, and then he got a team to create art. And so that in itself almost is an art form. Mm -hmm. So I think when artists have this idea or a concept and they can make it and fabricate it with a team, I think those are great. For me, I'm not just a conceptual artist. Obviously for the sculpture, I did not make it. I work with the fabricator, but the mixed media paintings and the paintings in the lobby, I do paint that, you know, like I feel like I'm kind of both conceptual and the doer, you know, I have to have my hands on. But I think there's no problem with people that are just conceptual artists as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so, okay. You map the space. You're getting a sense of the body of work, the scope of work. You're figuring like, okay, I've got 20, you know, it looks like I've got 20 spaces, 20 pieces that I got to create to hang in various places and spaces. So at this point, do you know the story you're trying to tell with those 20 pieces? When, at what point did you become clear about the story you wanted to tell? I think I was probably like a month and a half in because it took me a while to really get that story. Once I had that, because I felt like that was the hardest part. Once I had that roadmap of exactly what my theme, what I'm doing, what I'm making. Once I had that clear, everything was just about making it. Right. And so that was just that's 
hard as well, but I felt like if I had the strong concept and the overview, then I'd be able to produce it. So it was probably like, it took me half the time to create that overview and then half the time to then make everything as fast as I can. And literally even the day of, I went there and I was putting up vinyls on the digital art gallery. And we put up two last pieces in the digital art gallery because they had just come off of film set, which was very exciting. So all of that was kind of happening the morning of. And so sometimes it's like, you're just kind of like getting by with the skin of your teeth. It all got pulled off. And there were some moments where it felt very serendipitous, like, oh my God, it came through or it worked out. But I felt like this one, it was like, I felt the universe was saying like, this is for you. You've worked hard for it. It's going to work out. Don't worry. It almost felt very serendipitous. I love it. I love it. And that's so typical, right? I don't care if you're an artist or a lawyer or an accountant. I mean, you know, like we're all cramming for the deadline, you know, on some level. Right. And that just is, you know, that just comes with the territory. Right. And so, yeah, scrambling around and then things, you know, serendipity, the planets aligning. What a great thing. So, okay. Now I'm going to ask one of those like really stupid questions because like, I'm not that bright, but, and I think a lot of people are, are curious about this too. Cause when you hear the phrase artists in residence at the W hotel, people are wondering if you're like up in the penthouse painting and like working. Cause you're like, are you living in the hotel? Like, what does it mean practically to be artists in residence? I'm guessing you are creating uh, cause you live here in LA, right? So I'm guessing you're creating the art in your studio, but what is it like being an artist in residence? So the term, it was great because Heidi Johnson from High Jinx PR suggested- Shout out Heidi. We love our Heidi. We love Heidi. Shout out to Heidi. She suggested that term. We should call this program the Artist in Resident. And so we all, when she said that, we're like, that's it. And so we called it that. I am not living in the penthouse making artwork there because I have a studio in Lincoln Heights. And I do a lot of work from my home as well. So I kind of go back and forth from home and studio. But we called it that because the artwork will live there for six months to a year. And so it's kind of like the art is in residence. But W was very kind and they did give me the penthouse for the night of, which was really, which was really (laughs) cool, especially because I heard Obama used to stay there. So I was in the room and I was like, I wonder if Obama stayed in this room. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the pillow that (laughs) the Barack? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is this the mirror he was like saying his speech on because I was getting ready and looking at the same mirror? Right, right, exactly. How fun. Yeah. Well, that's super cool that you got that that penthouse that night. So and that was you answered a question I had because I was like really curious about how long the art is going to be in the hotel. Because I mean, you know, all that blood, sweat and tears, all that love, all that passion, all that energy. I was hoping it would at least be around for six months. So it sounds like it might even be hanging for a year. Yes. So originally when we first started, they were saying, oh, six months to a year. And then after the great opening, he's like, oh, a year, a year. And so I think it will probably live a year. But I just like to say six months to a year just to be safe. And then I think they will maybe go into renovations after. There might not be any more artists and residents after. Mm -hmm. And so that means this is a very special moment that I was able to do this before they go into full renovation and afterwards have probably their interior designers have art hotel art or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm just going to write it out hopefully for a year. I love it. So I think all the pieces are for, is for, are for sale. Like people can buy them like and own them after they're, after they're done. Right. They're all available for purchase. Yes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Available for purchase. There were some that are metallic prints on acrylic. Uh And so basically those are from a print shop and they're limited edition. And the night of the opening, I sold two of those. So those are great because they don't have to come off the wall. There's a few that are just one of ones. And if a buyer wants to buy it, they would have to wait till the residency is over. Or they would agree to have something changed up a little bit and me make a commission piece for them. But all the pieces there are for sale. Oh uh, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. I just, you know, I, I, I guess I had a vision also, like, wouldn't it be cool? Cause the body of work is so great. Like I was just like, man, your show should just tour around to different W's, you know, like they should, they should put it on the, the, the world tour, you know? <laughs> I love that you're saying that because after I made this, you know, first sculpture ever, I was like, I would love these to be in more hotels or just more places. And I said, I'm going to manifest this. I know right now I have my first sculpture in LA, but I'm like, I want it in New York, Miami, Amsterdam, and Seoul. I don't know why I came up with that, but I was like, those are the places I want it to be. And so I'm on a mission. <laughs> let's, let's name it and claim it. Let's let's manifest yeah. that shit right now. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I see it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
wow. So you're cranking away on these pieces. You're getting this work done. Um, You must have multiple pieces in progress at any one time. Take us into your practice, like on a deep level, like in the studio, as you think about a big project like this, are you leaning into a workflow that is very typical for you or are you having to adjust? Are you kind of I dare I say, making it up as you go in terms of like, okay, well, today I'm going to work on this. Tomorrow, maybe I'll work on that. Because 20 pieces in three months is a lot of lot of it's work, lot. And, you know, and you got to get organized lot. and you got to, you know, so, so, so break it down for us. Yeah. So I printed out that overview, you know, that PDF file that I had that pretty much was the roadmap to everything I was going to make. I had that taped up on my home and my studio. So it's like, as everything was kind of happening. I was checking things off. And so every day would be kind of figuring out how I'm tackling this overview. And I would be working from my home and my studio in Lincoln Heights. So I would have canvases all over my living room. My studio would have random canvases over there. And so it was like pretty much for that three months leading up to it, my husband and my kids had to just accept that mom's in crazy mode. And then I just had stuff everywhere. And that was just life. It's nice to have a partner who really is a big cheerleader for you and support like a support system that he knew, okay, until this is over, just let her keep the house a mess and like let her do whatever she's doing. And so every day was tackling, how am I going to get through this overview? But I would just look at that PDF printout on my wall as if it's like the checklist that I have to get through. And that's the way it came together. Okay. So I'm going to ask a question that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? About this kind of fine art, contemporary art world meeting the commercial art world, right? So, cause as a graphic designer, right? As a commercial artist, so to speak, like we're, we're very kind of attuned to what we might refer to as the design process, right? So the design process is sort of basically at a high level. Phase one is sort of like call it due diligence or phase zero. Sometimes they call it phase zero. So like due diligence, research, you know, getting all the information in phase one would be, you know, concepting, you know, starting to get ideas, brainstorming, figuring out phase two or three would be maybe critiquing, refining, making those hard choices about what moves forward, what doesn't move forward. And then in phase four or whatever, that might be called your production phase where you're making the pieces. And then eventually, of course, it launches. Now, that's a very oversimplistic view of kind of the design process, you know, and if you're really being sort of strategic and intentional, if you're sort of an agency or your brand, I mean, you might be thinking about, like the consumer and the audience and how these things play through that. But in terms of your process, I mean, how does your graphic design experience influence your art making practice? So much. I'm constantly jumping back and forth from the computer to the canvas. And if I didn't have those computer skill sets, I don't think I would be as strong of an artist or the artist I am. So that really plays a big part. And then without that kind of overview that was almost like a storyboard, I couldn't come up with all of that and know that it was going to be exactly how I envisioned it. But because I have those graphic design skill sets to know what the composition for each one was going to be, I was able to share that with the W team for them to understand the idea even before I made the painting. And so then once I got things approved, they knew what they were going to get because it was the painted version of what I presented. And so it definitely kind of was everything you just said in that order. And then of course, with any Anything that had minor changes or something didn't work, you know, you just have to pivot. But overall, if I just kept sticking to that storyboard and that kind of overview, I knew the result would be this. And that is kind of how luckily it all came together. Do you start your process, assuming you've done your, you know, kind of your your research, your due diligence, kind of getting a sense of the scope of work or whatever, then do you start with the pencil and a notebook and start sketching? And do you, do you, to what point, to what extent is sketching a part of your process? Right, right. So I always think about like the chicken and the egg, like what Uh came first, right? And it changes. Sometimes I'm like the egg came first, sometimes the chicken came first. And so for me, some of the stuff I'm sketching first. And then most of the time I'm sketching first with okay. pencil paper. Mm-hmm. And then with that, I bring it to the computer and then drop in all the colors and then really am able to have other people understand what the vision is. 
But some of those sketches didn't happen within the three months. Some of these sketches were things that I had laid out prior. So like I had done a mural at the US Bank Tower. And so I sketched a mural and then I revised and remixed that mural into what I would think is the theme for Unlock Your Dreams. And so I just went straight to the computer on that one because I had already sketched it months back. Right. And so like I was saying, I was pulling from older series and a lot of the series do start with pencil first, but there's some like my Lego characters that I do that's based on homages to different pop culture icons and legends is computer first, you know? So right. it just depends because I'm always jumping back and forth. Yeah. Horses for courses, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. No, that's super fascinating. And because for so many people, right, it's it, what you do is magic. It's like, you know, you're pulling rabbits out of hats, you know, it's like, oh my God, how did she do that? And it's sort of unthinkable for them. It's like magic. And yet at the same time, you know, we really know that <laughs> it's hard work. That's, you know, a disciplined approach, methodical, thoughtful, considered uh, steps along the way. Right. But 100%, I think there is magic to it. I think artists are magicians. And if there is no magic, the art, even if you have all of everything laid out and this roadmap, it can fall flat if it doesn't have that element of magic. And when people say like artists are like vessels and it's like this kind of like artwork is channeling through them, I believe that. And so I think it is a combination of everything that we just talked about with kind of like going in that order, but also with the magic that's coming through it. And if it wasn't, then I feel like you wouldn't have that connection or the viewer wouldn't have that connection with the art if it didn't have that kind of magic or element of emotion and soul to it. Yes. No, it's so true. Yeah. Because literally, right? I mean, what is magic? Magic is to create something out of nothing. And 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 that's what you do all the time. <laughs> that's what all artists do. So I, I think all artists are magicians. Making magic all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it was a magical night. When I think about the event, yeah. that night for me, I was like, it was magical, you know, and I think it's because of all of that stuff coming together and the artworks being on the walls and the artworks having that element of magic that it just became that. And maybe that's just me being biased, but it felt that way. Yes. No, it's, it's not you being, man, by the way. So what if you're biased? It's, you know, you got to drink your own Kool-Aid. Do you know what I mean? Like we yeah. got to believe in what we're doing as your friend, as someone who was there that night, I'm telling you objectively, you're not biased. Uh, it was a hell of a party. It was a magical night. Well, let me be, be clear. It was a hell of a party because it was a magical night and the energy was so positive and the work was resonating with just everyone there. And I think, you know, in some level, right, the people does art imitate life or life imitate art? Well, both, but you know, and, and the people there sort of were, were mirrors for the positive energy that your work was reflecting and, you know, vice versa. Right. So, so it was just a spectacular night. I was so happy for you. I, I, I was watching you at various times and you're just beaming, just beaming. Thank you. One of the, the moments that led to this being so special was also the CNN journalist, Lisa Ling. She was there and she was Shout my guest Lisa. of honor. We love our Lisa Ling, yes. We love Lisa. I love Lisa so much. But I think for her to be there and be my guest of honor and to have this little introduction speech and say those kind words, that really was so special. And it's interesting because she, um, I reached out to her Right when I got the project and I was talking with Heidi and then Jen Art Duet, they were going to help me kind of bring this project together. And they said, do you have any notable art collectors that we can use as a guest of honor? And that's when Lisa Ling came in my head and I shared that story. And they said, you need to ask her because if we can get her to be the guest of honor, it just helps elevate the whole night and the program and everything. And so when I reached out to Lisa and as a fellow Asian female and during AAPI month where this event will, will happen, she said, Mary, I want to support you, which was like the, the kindest text that I was like, Oh my God, already. I feel like this is going to be good. And this was like, right when I had three months to start and then for fast forward. And then, you know, we go to the night of, and Lisa says those kind words and she shows up and she brings her energy and her presence during this like month of celebrating the AAPI month, it just felt so serendipitous and magical, like we were saying. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, it's one thing for Lisa to like support you like she did or collect your work like she did, but I mean, like she's a serious collector of your work. Like she has like several pieces of your work, right? So, she does. Yeah, she does. She's a fan. I, she might be your number one fan. 
She's so awesome. And it's interesting because the way we got connected was I was doing these like Lego characters from A to Z and I had music series. I had like musicians. I had artists that I loved that I wanted to teach my kids about. And when all that Stop Asian Hate was going on, I wanted to do a, a series of just Asian. So I called it Representation and it was from A to Z and it had like Aquafina, Ali Wong. Lisa Ling was one of the characters. And on the letter L, I couldn't decide between Bruce Lee and Lisa Ling. And so I put both of those characters for the letter L the only letter that had two characters and so you know I had made this and I was just tagging the artist thinking oh that's cool if I just tag them so they know that they're in art form and for her to then see that connect with it then come to art show and buy that piece of her on it it was a bigger thing of not just her liking my art but her liking the fact that this is an artist person of color that wants to shine light on other Asians doing really cool things in pop culture and so I think she saw the bigger message and wanted to support that. So I thought it was amazing that she was kind of shining light on me. But to me, she's just the biggest inspiration and icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that was it was so cool to see her there proud of you, happy for you, supporting you, shining her light on you. It was just a wonderful thing to see. And yeah, so you I mean, <laughs> so I'm guessing you felt you didn't get out of bed the next day, right? Like you you probably slept all day. <laughs> what was the next no, day? No, I just always get up so you early. The, so then were, of course you were in the penthouse. You were in the penthouse. Yes, and the penthouse was very bright at six in the morning. So <laughs> then I just naturally got up yeah. and I was just on a high. And so I stayed up. But I think two days later after some friends that flew in to town, my mom was in town and then they all left. That's when I was able to crash. <laughs> yeah. So You're then right. I've been kind of just in that crash mode and just now catching back up. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Now, cause I mean, though, listen, I mean, it's like, working hard for against the deadline, no matter what profession you're in is going to be exhausting, but there are some, some professions that they tap into like a, a spiritual level that is that, that makes it even, you know, so much more exhausting. And, you know, so for example, I can only imagine how a heart surgeon or brain surgeon feels after surgery, deep fatigue on some level or, or not, I don't know. But I mean, as an artist, as a creator, as a maker, I mean, it's a spiritual job too. And so you're, it's not just about it's, it's, yes, it's a labor, you know, being an artist is a, is a, is a physical job. I mean, it is manual labor. I mean, <laughs> there's just no way about it, but you also have that spiritual intellectual element where you're putting your heart out there and, you know, and it's a vulnerable state to be in and, and that itself that, so you're vulnerable, right? You walk into that show that night and your, your heart's out in the world. You're like, Oh my God, are they going to love her, love me or hate me? And then, so, you know, obviously, you know, they loved you. And so there's a relief there. So it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> now, now I can relax. You know, three days later when that adrenaline goes down, uh, you're, you just fall over exhausted. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I do think art is, you know, what brings people to that. Like, I think art is such an amazing thing where it connects people, it brings yeah. the energy. And when you were talking about the spiritual element or like when surgeons are like saving lives, I, I don't want to ever like act like I'm saving somebody's life. I make art because it's my passion and I love to do it. But like, shout out to all the people that's like really doing important things. Not that art's not important. I don't want to ever say that either. But like, sometimes I'm like, wow, I feel so lucky to be getting this kind of recognition. Really, I'm just doing what I love. Yeah. But like, really, the people that are like doctors saving lives and just all the other stuff, kudos to them for doing what they do as well. So I think it's just the whole ecosystem of, you know, everybody recognizing that art is great. Thank yeah. you for that. But also like, I can't be an artist if people aren't doctors and other, <laughs> other occupations. So it's, it's a whole thing together. It takes a village and, and, you know, and yes. I, I don't mean to compare, you know, like I actually think we're all essential workers, right? I mean, you know, like art got, do you think of the pandemic? I mean, what did you, what did we need? Yeah. Well, we needed frontline workers, nurses and doctors saving lives, helping people, but then we needed art to help us kind of get through and entertain ourselves, you know, during this very traumatic time. And so it does take everyone, it does take a village and, you know, and I don't necessarily think that, well, I think it's, I think it's all essential. And I think of art to your point, I think of art as soul food. Yes. It can be just sort of visually pleasurable and sort of maybe light and superficial, but then it can go deep and really be challenging and provoking and provocative. But no matter what, you know, art just 
feeds the soul in a way that I think is essential, you know? And so you're a spiritual leader, Mary, Mary, Mary. I, I don't know if you know that. But, I love uh, that you say that. Can I join, can yeah, I join I, the I, cult? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you think about a song, you know, some people will listen to a song and, and like they get through a hard time, you know, they look at a piece of art and it moves them or even the artists themselves when they're going through a depression and they create this piece, it, it's the, their outlet of like going through the pandemic or going through whatever hard time they are. So you're right. Art is essential. And I think appreciating artists and also having artists make a living out of creating is great that people now see artists as the same level as doctors or, you know, other occupations, because it is essential to the soul. It is essential. And we're not drinking our own Kool-Aid. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you can't have a civilized society without art and without the liberal arts and without the creative arts. And so we have to fight. And I feel like the trends, you know, it's very interesting because I feel like on one hand, art has never been more popular and been bigger. We're sort of in this creative renaissance. However, on the other hand, you see this sort of like lack of funding and lack of, of focus, you know, and maybe in public schools or, or what have you. And so, you know, so it's a complicated issue, but it's on the ground grassroots in towns around America, but at a high level, fundamentally, spiritually, from a humankind civilization kind of perspective, we can't be, you know, I don't think we can live up to our potential without art. I mean, that's just really it. Right. And art says so much about the culture and the times, right? The time we live in. And when you look back at art history, you can see how that period was by just looking at the art as well. So even right now, there's this hyper focus on all this great art, especially with digital art now becoming part of this art renaissance. So I do think that art is something right now that is saying a lot about our time and our culture and the moment we live in. And it feels really awesome to be an artist living right now. Yeah. We, oh, I bet. I bet. Congratulations, artists living right now. It's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm still like driving a Mazda and renting my house, so I'm not there yet. But, you know, I'm trying. And, you know, somebody like Kusama, she's the highest paid living artist right now, one of them. And I feel like she's like a story that inspires me. And just for artists in general is that we can get there. Maybe we just have to like dream and manifest these kind of visions of what we want to do because we are so passionate about it. Absolutely. And, you know, and the the money comes and goes. The truth is like a doctor, like an art, like these are callings, like it's, they're, they're kind of compulsions. Like you, you had to be an artist, like, you know, and, and, and people who give care, who are doctors and nurses have to, like, they're called to that. There's compensation in knowing that you're, you're in your, you're in your calling, you know, that you're pursuing what you're meant, you know, and so we get up every day and yes, you know, it might be stressful. Like, how am I going to pay rent this month? But, but you get up every day, you know, and I, you know, I think millions of people have those concerns, right. Without whether they're artists or not, that's just kind of the, unfortunately the reality of the world we're living in right now in terms of making ends meet. But at the end of the day, so many people wake up and go to a miserable job that they hate to make a buck. And we get up every day in our callings, very lucky to be able to go do that. And yes, the money will come and go, but at least we have great satisfaction, gratification, pleasure, joy, peace in the fact that we're doing what we're called to do. Right. Absolutely. And I don't take that for granted at all. I think every day I wake up thinking, I feel so lucky and blessed to be able to do this as my full-time job. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you realized you were an artist and that you were going to go into design? Senior year in high school is when I knew I'm going to make a portfolio and I'm going to go to art school. But prior, my mom used to tell me when I was a baby, she would leave me with like a pen and paper and I would draw all over, not the paper, but myself and also the walls. And so she was like, this girl, this baby's going to be an artist. So she told me from a young age, she always saw me being an artist. Right. You, you, you mentioned high school and for whatever reason, you know, I could be totally wrong. Tell me to fuck off if I'm wrong, but you know, I hope I'm right. But I have this vision of you in high school as being the cool punk rock like <laughs> kind of chick you know what i mean like, like did, did, did you have well, that vibe? like what vibe i, I love that vision i i wish i could say that's true but i was probably the complete opposite because <laughs> i moved around a lot so i remember my senior year i was the new girl you know and i was in a school where nobody looked like me you know i was the only asian girl and i just really just went to all my art classes and like I didn't take a lunch because I would rather be at an art class trying to make my portfolio good. But I have to say, my brother, four years later, he said that people still talked about me. Yeah. And so I was like, they knew who I was. <laughs> so maybe I was okay. 
way, but I moved around so much that I was, I thought I was just the new girl that loved art and just went for that. That That's interesting. Maybe I missed that in your bio. What, what, why did you move around so much? Was your, were you a military brat? Like what, like what, what was that? Well, about? I lived in a town where it was a bunch of military um, kids, but my father, he, when I was 14, went after his calling and he became a minister. Oh, and wow. so then the church actually transferred him every three years. And so growing up, I never lived in a place more than three years. And so I was constantly moving and I was always kind of like the new kid. But I think that's where I found a lot of outlet through art and music. Well, and that's also where I think, you know, those social muscles were exercised, right? Because I mean, when you're moving around like that, and you're having to introduce yourself again and again, and meet new people, like those people skills get honed and get practiced. So, you know, so that bodes well for you, you know, as an artist, because so many artists don't get those opportunities, right? To be able to, well, forced, right? To sort of network and social socialize uh, again and again and again. And and those muscles, you know, maybe don't get exercised so much, but it turns out that's a gift. Well, lucky you moving all over the world, Jet Setter. So, <laughs> so you know, one of the, when I was like reading up a little bit before we hopped on today, I have to confess, I did not know that you were like the winner of Craftopia. Like, <laughs> what a fun fact that was. Yeah, that was a fun moment. I've actually, in my handbag career, I've had a few awards that I won leading up to it, which are very similar to that Craftopia moment. But the Craftopia moment was on TV, on HBO Max. So yep. that was definitely the first. And the only reason why that happened to me is because of the pandemic. So like that was like the silver lining. Craftopia for season one was like a children's craft show. For season two, they wanted to have adult crafters and artists. And when the pandemic was happening, they couldn't do casting calls and fly in a lot of people from different areas. So they started looking for artists that was local. And so one day I get this DM on my Instagram and it's a casting director saying, hey, you got cool art. Do you want to be on the show? And I'm thinking this must be scam or like this is a scam or like he's fake. And But then I look at his profile and I'm like, oh, he's a real casting director. And so then I reply back. We have a call. One thing leads to the other. And the next thing I know is I'm on set getting filmed for a show. And it was one episode, but it was such a high moment. And to win that episode and win the $10,000 and kind of that award to say, hey, I was the winner of Craftopia is a cool element. But when that challenge, the second challenge where you win the whole episode and the money, it was sewing or making an inflatable for, it was a Halloween episode and you had to make an inflatable that would be like Halloween decor you would put on your front yard. And for me, I just kind of pulled from my experiences as a handbag designer. Cause I used to like go to an atelier, like a sample room in the garment district and I wasn't getting paid, but I went there and I wanted to learn how to make patterns. How do you sew a bag? And kind of just like really learn from concept to completion, how to make a product. Mm -hmm. And then when they asked me to make an inflatable, I just, kind of thought about how you make a pattern for a bag and it's like okay how do you make a pattern of a witch flying into a uh, a lamppost and that was the winning thing and so that was a really cool moment but sometimes you can't make this stuff up it's just because of something like the pandemic that led to them having to look for me I wasn't applying for open calls and this just fell on my lap and so I felt very grateful to have a moment like that to say I was the winner of HBO Max's Craftopia episode four, season two. I tell you what, my money's on you, Mary Lai. I mean, you know, because here's the thing, there's so many like great parts of that because on one hand, like just to get, just to have cool art that a legit casting agent is going to take notice and reach out. Like, so that's a win. Right. And then the fact that like, okay, you're on social media to begin with. And by the way, people, it works. Right. So like some, like if you're not out there they're not going to find you. So, so you're out there, he finds you, DMs you, and then you get then you get cast, which is a huge win. Like just the fact that you were on the show and then to actually win the episode. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. My money's on you. I mean, you're a winner. Oh, thank you. I just feel like it's just working hard and making those opportunities kind of show up maybe. I don't know. And it's a, it's a combination of all these things and then plus luck. So it is not just the hard work. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And we don't really overtly admit that a lot enough, I think, or remind ourselves because you can do everything right. And if lady luck isn't 
smiling on you that day for some reason, it might be for nothing. It's not your fault. It's just the way it goes. I mean, think about all the lives and the businesses affected. Everyone was behaving. Everyone was doing great. And then all of a sudden, wham, there's a pandemic. Come on, right? So put yourself out there. Do it with good faith. Do it do, do it in good faith. Do it with integrity. Do it with passion. And good things do happen. They do. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we talk about the good things and having talked about all the struggles and all this other stuff, there was a lot of other of horrible, course. bad and other challenges <laughs> that you have to overcome. So yeah. I don't want any listener thinking, oh, you just show up and it's going to happen. It's like it's it's definitely just riding that out from all the highs and the lows. That's right. That's right. Ups and downs, highs and lows, you know, hero to zero and back again. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's all it's all in there. Take heed, take heart, people, and be inspired by Mary Lai. She is our North Star. Mary, I am so grateful that you came out today and classed up the joint. We get to hang out like this. And this is my lucky day. And we're just so happy for you and, and all, of, all of the positive, beautiful things that are happening for you. I'm going to ask this next question, and you're probably going to want to reach through the monitor and, and choke me because you just finished all of this work and you're still recuperating. But I have to ask, what's next? What's, what's on the horizon? Yeah, yeah. I think... Basically, I'm going to, I'm taking a little bit of a break, but I already am thinking about December, Okay, which is crazy because we're only in May, but you know, I go to Art Basel every year. Last year I did scope. This year I'm going to try to do scope and context. Mm -hmm. And then the week after is designer con. I did designer con in 2019 and then I haven't done it again, but this year I want to do designer con because it's different than Art Basel. You know, you have... You, you fine art and then you get designer con and you get a whole different audience and to be able to be like an artist that could do both fine art and merch and fun stuff why not flex those muscles and do a little bit of all of that but all of that takes a lot of preparation and time and everything so I'm kind of focusing on like already starting to focus in on what am I going to show for both of that right. and then the opportunities and hopefully cool things that pop up in between. We'll see what that is. But right now I'm focused on December and then being an open kind of person of opportunities to come in. And if the fit is correct, then to do those in between from now and December. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, heck, I mean, December is going to be here in like five minutes. Like it's crazy. I know. Time is just flying. (laughs) It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Well, that's exciting. Yes. Designer con. We love our designer con. It is moved this year. Like usually it's like two weeks or week before Thanksgiving or something like that. Two weeks before Thanksgiving. And this year it's now, and then it's our boss. All right. This year it's actually reversed. It's like after our boss. And uh, that's a, that's a very interesting change. But uh, I think that totally makes sense for you. As you know, Decon is filled with rabid, fanatical uh, lovers of art and collectors, and so they're gonna they're gonna eat your stuff up, uh, no doubt. I hope so. I'm excited to like make cool things with it because I haven't done vinyl toys and I haven't done so much merch with my art. Right. But that's kind of like where I come from in my New York industry. When I was career doing like product, I'm like now for designer con, I want to make more product that is tying in the art. So it'll be fun to see what I could come up with. But Decon is the perfect place to kind of showcase that. You know, I totally glossed over the fact because, I mean, you've mentioned your handbags and multiple times like are you and I'm sorry, I haven't actually seen the the line. But like, you know, are you still making handbags like what what became of your handbag line and, and where what's happening with that right now? So I completely switched and I'm no longer doing anything handbag related at the moment, but I loved doing it and I was good at it. It's just, it wasn't my path, you know, it just didn't work out. And I think with fashion, there is a lot of people that might take independent designers pieces, copy it, send it to the factory. And next thing you know, your design is being made, you know, and I feel like if you don't have deep, deep pockets or you don't have an already established name, it's really hard to make it in the fashion game, the handbag game or the, you know, in general, that it was never meant for me to make that. Plus, I don't think I would have felt as fulfilled doing handbags as I am now feeling so fulfilled creating art and then being able to be so dynamic with like doing so many different mediums and digital art and augmented reality and sculptures and all that. So I think the path was never for me to be successful as a handbag designer (laughs) because it needed to lead me to be at this point being an artist. Well, and that's, and that's the universe sometimes telling, you know, because I mean, I think, you know, we're all 
sensitive people on some level. And it's like, you know, when we fail at something, so-called fail at something, you know, we might be tempted to take it very personally or whatever. And the reality is it's not a failure. It's a learning, you know, if you want to frame it as a failure, fine, you can do that. But really it might just be the universe telling you, no, 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 don't go right, go left. There's always a learning there. You know, it's like the price of an education. You know, it's like, it's not a loss if you learn and grow and, and move forward. Right, right. Like when they say you fail your way to success, I feel like that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years, you know, and what is success? It's just what it means to that individual. You know, there's no exact formula of like, when you get here, this is successful, right? Right. So I can look at my career as a handbag designer, and I've won like several awards, I can say it was successful, but was I hugely profitable? No. So then maybe I think I'm not successful, you know, so it's what is success to you? And it's like, how can you fail your way to success? Well, and I, you know, and I'm speaking from personal experience here too, because I know what I tend to do is because I'm so focused on the next thing and so focused on like the future or whatever that I don't. And historically, I've rarely taken time to like sit down and honor and celebrate a success, like an accomplishment, a goal achieved, a goal reached. And, and I feel like it is so important for us to take a day, take a week, take five minutes, whatever it takes. But when you've accomplished a goal or when you've done something special or something you're proud of, absolutely honor that and celebrate that and take a moment, you know, because that's what is success. Because if you just sort of blow through these things, you look back and you're like, wait, what have I done? Well, because you didn't take time to honor those base hits and those home runs, you know. That is so true. Yeah. It's easy to just keep thinking, I have to keep going and not to celebrate those moments. But you're right. You should honor those moments and celebrate those. Because when you look back, it's like you don't want to like regret that you didn't get to have those celebration moments because you don't know if you're going to have it again, you know, but it is important to honor those moments. I agree. Well, um, we're here to honor your moment, Mary Lai. Thank you so much. For coming on Not Real Art. And this has been such a joy, such a gift. So before we go, please tell everybody where they can find you online. On Instagram, it's just marylai.co. Marylai was taken. And so uh, I had to just do the .co. And then on Twitter, it's marylai underscore co. And my website is marylai.com. Excellent. Well, we'll have all that in the show notes, of course, as well. But I just wanted people to hear from you. Mary Lai, you have a beautiful day. Go drink it, drink some wine, do something, get a massage, do something because yeah. you've, you've earned it. And it's just a joy to have been at your event the other night and encourage anybody here in LA to go to the W and check out Mary's work there in Westwood. Don't wait. Don't think, oh, it's going to be there for six months or whatever. No, no, no. Go today. And and enjoy it because uh, you'll be glad you did. Mary Lai, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcasts and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.